0: I am Neil Edwards, and this is The Leadership Range, where we elevate the voices of black and brown coaches, leaders, and allies, and have soulful conversations about all things at the intersections of leadership, relationships, and teams, well being, and inclusion. Here I offer deep insights and practical tips for work and life. Today, you are going to hear from Dr. Akasha Saunders coming in from Grenada. Akasha is originally from Jamaica, which is where my grandfather is from, my paternal grandfather. We met as fellow members of the Caribbean chapter of the International Coach Federation, where we both sit on the board of directors. I love this man. Akasha starts out sharing a little bit about his story coming up as a patois-talking boy from Jamaica, getting early negative messages about who he was and the impact of it on him. We talk about how many marginalized people are simultaneously navigating the outside world while navigating the inner world of their identities to see how to make meaning and purpose in life. We could have easily been on the beach somewhere having this conversation. So come on in and join us. Dr. Akasha. Welcome to the Leadership Range. It's lovely to have you here today. I think my guests are in for a real treat in this conversation. I've known Dr. Akasha now for, I don't know, two or three years, and I've wanted him on the show for several months, and we've had to reschedule a few times. So I'm delighted to have this smooth island boy conversation with my island brother. So you all got to watch out for this. So uh, Akasha is a coach and a leader and, uh, and a cosmopolitan. We just had a conversation. <laughs> He's a cosmopolitan. And I'm going to let you uh, listen to his own introduction of himself. Akasha, let people know a little bit about who you are and what you do in the world.
1: Hey, Niels. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Hello, uh, listeners. We were talking just before this about, you know, how do I want to be called? And then you throw in island boy i'm like that tops the list and i didn't even mention that you know akasha (laughs) dr akasha none of these things matters when you say you know island boy because that very much defines um, a large part of who i am you know grew up in jamaica lived in bermuda island hop in the caribbean for a while now back in grenada um since since july so Love the islands, love being surrounded by the Caribbean Sea or the Atlantic Ocean, or preferably both. Love uh, seeing trees and feeling the breeze and watching the breeze do its thing to the trees. Uh, that's, that's, just, that's just it for me. Um, you know. And when I'm not watching the breeze uh, make love to the trees, I'm coaching and teaching and facilitating Do quite a bit of that, work at the university here on the island. Um, love, love working with students, love seeing people grow, love seeing our young people maximize their potential. And/or middle-aged people, and/or older people. (laughs) I just love, love seeing people grow. So that's that's what I'm about. You know, if you were to ask me, you know, what do I do? I would really just say, I'm just in the business of cultivating spaces for people to grow and develop and that just takes many different forms so
0: you're in the business of loving people i know you're really a loving man kind man Mm -hmm. and uh really look into people's heart Mm -hmm. and uh you know try to create more love and kindness in the world that's what i know about Mm -hmm. you so Mm -hmm. welcome
1: thank you thanks for saying that thanks for having me here Mm
0: -hmm. certainly so Natasha, when I have folks on the show, I like them to share a little bit of a story about their life. And you started to do that. Mm. Um, But what I really want listeners to hear is, you know, how you've become the man that you are today from a leadership perspective. Mm. So if you can tell us a little story about your life, beginning at whatever inflection point or starting point is important Mm. to you, Mm. and and just kind of hit a few points along the way that have been crucial in shaping and expanding and extending your leadership over time up through today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are two two stories come to mind and they're gonna somehow flow into each other, (laughs) hopefully. Um, one, One is when I left Jamaica for the first time. I was 11, 11 years old. And I went to another small island, Cayman Islands. And while there, um, you know, people made a lot of comments like, why you talk so bad? You know, you don't. I was, I was deep in my Jamaican patois at 11 years old, you know. People were like, you dunce or something, you know. And I learned then at 11 years old, Neil, that it was a disadvantage. This was the sense that my 11 year old mind. Um, mm-hmm. Was making it was a disadvantage to be Jamaican. It was a disadvantage to speak anything other than standard English. Okay, <laughs> proper <laughs> English.
0: <laughs> Queen's English.
1: <laughs> the Queen's English, precisely because Cayman back then still is now is a British colony. So boy, quite proper. <laughs> um, and so. That, that, that was a significant inflection point for me because when I got back home, I, 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 had, I had made a decision that I was no longer going to talk Jamaican patwa. I was only, I was going to train myself to speak proper English. And uh, lots of challenges along the way, you know, family members saying, accusing me of trying to be better than them um, better than my than what I am um, mm-hmm. showing off um, mm-hmm. you know trying to be too smart so picture this right so on the one hand people saying you're too dunce because you're speaking Jamaican patois and when I when I convince myself to stop that and speak proper English then people are saying well you're trying to be too smart you're trying to be better than us so I'm like, yeah. well, what the heck? I lose, and where I go, I lose. Yeah, <laughs> You know? who you think you is. <laughs> who, who I think I, exactly, who I think <laughs> I is, talking like that. I'm from the country, you know, a little poor village in Portland, Jamaica. You know, so that was a defining moment for me in terms of my relationship with my culture, and I know we're going to get into that a little bit more later. Mm-hmm. The second story is is more directly a leadership story. So and uh, maybe about eight years ago um, a colleague and I another a coach another coaching colleague we we said we thought about doing some work together and the thing that we decided to do was to host a men's retreats and I was living in Bermuda at the time you know and so we said hey I could rent an island invite some men um, and we we try and meet them where they're at in terms of their identity, provide some light coaching, but also practice and engaging across our differences. Because it turned out that we had about half gay men and half straight men who mm-hmm. signed up for this retreat, or quite literally 50-50. So we thought, what a cool opportunity to make contact across our differences and to see what transformation might uh, exist in that space. You know, lots of research suggests that that can be a transformative experience for people. But, you know, research is research. Practicing it is a different thing. (laughs) So (laughs) I was very much interested in, like, testing this thing out, practicing it and see what happens. And it was quite powerful. But in the preparation for that retreat, uh, my colleague and I were putting a team together. And it turned out that all the members of this team were Americans, except myself. All the members of this team, well, I would say maybe 95% of the members of this team were white. So white, American, and all men. And uh, there were moments as we were working together, my, my colleague was a, was a white American man. Um, and you know, we were having team meetings and I would you know, say a thing, uh, yeah, I think your listeners, you Neil, and your listeners um, will perhaps find the examples I'm about to give, you know, um, uh, not unique. You know, so yeah, I'm does. there, I'm there, sharing some ideas, um, giving my perspective. Uh, no one saying anything, you know. Then my white colleague say the same thing, almost verbatim, and everybody's like, "What?" that's awesome why didn't we think about this or hear someone else say this before and i'm just like (laughs) oh really so that thing that thing it threw me off big time i'll admit to you because i'm like what the heck so is it my is it my language so this is where the first story came into play like is it my accent and these american guys aren't really understanding me but then why aren't they saying something So then I'm like, well, is it because of how I'm communicating besides my accent? Is it because of the way I'm communicating? Is it something to do with the way I'm leading that's not effective? Because the way I was seeing my leadership was different from how it was playing out, or at least the impact that it was having with the people I was working with. So I'm like, darn it, it must be something with how I'm leading. You know, I I wasn't thinking, oh, there are some cultural things there. And I actually wasn't even thinking that possibly I could be fine and it may have been something with my colleagues and my friends. I was, I, the automatic place I went to was something is wrong with me. Either with yeah. my language, either with the way I'm seeing things, either with the way I'm leading, something is wrong with me, Akasha, who is trying to put together this thing and saying he's a leader in this space. So it was so challenging, I'm like, God, here I am trying to lead and it's not working out. I can't be a leader, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that experience was a big shift for me because one of the things I did after that was uh, reached out to someone who did developmental uh, coaching work because I also felt, here's another story that I had to confront then. Uh, so part of my socialization, you see, because when when i first encountered the, the idea of development i was also still very young you know still in high school around 12 13 as well and what i knew what i knew my 12 year old mind knew by then was the global south jamaica people like me and where i'm from were underdeveloped especially when compared to the the compared to north america europe and anything and anybody that's white okay yeah. I am underdeveloped. And so here I am again, mostly white people. So I'm like, oh crap, okay. I guess I'm not actually developed enough to be here and to be making sense to, to these developed people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I'm like, no, something is something is off with me. So uh, I got an opportunity to confront these stories, these assumptions, and we might even say these, these misconceptions and lies about. Uh, our place in the world as uh, people from the global south people who walk and live and breathe in black bodies um, you know we could go on and on so um those people in the
0: global south but all about you
1: yeah exactly exactly
0: (laughs) so so um i'm I'm very curious about what you learned you said you went and you worked you had a conversation or you worked with somebody that's in development
1: yeah yeah um
0: there's probably a lot that came out
1: of it a lot came out of it
0: what is the big thing that
1: came out of it for you yeah um a reintroduction to myself a reintroduction to myself came out of it for me um learning to look at myself but not as a flawed self you know, learning to, um, to see also the things that made me up up until that point. And even mm-hmm. now, the mm-hmm. assumptions, the beliefs, the ideas, uh, even the identities that made me up. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was, a bit of a, it was a bit of an audit of myself, but not to look for any mistakes or anything that's lacking, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, what is the thing that makes up this person?
0: They're getting yeah. to know you. Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. am I really?
1: That's right. Up that, until was, now. that was a big question, actually. Who are, mm-hmm. There were three big questions that, that developed for me during that experience. Who am I really? Really, really, really? Mm-hmm. What am I here to do? And I was deeply spiritual, religious, I would actually say, back then. So the third question was, and what does God want of me? You know, there are sub questions to this, what does God want of me? Because one was like, what is God anyway? Mm-hmm. You know, who is God anyway was how I framed the question back then. So there's yeah. a who am I really? What am I meant to be doing here? And what does God want me to do? Who is God and what does God want me to do?
0: That's fascinating. And I, I, I. Mm. Maybe this is another conversation for another time, but I, I'm fascinated by what am I here to do? Yeah. Uh, what does God want me to do? Yeah. And what's the difference between the two? Yeah. You know, like I, what struck me is like, how could yeah. there be a difference between the two of you? If there is a God yes. and you're here to do something, who else is there but God to tell you what you're here to do? Yeah. <laughs>
1: so the, the, you're absolutely right this could this could be the conversation <laughs> because we could go so many places here cuz there's a journey about that cuz one of the places those questions took me was on a pilgrimage a 500 mile walk across northern spain from south of france to northern spain the camino de santiago mm. and i found some some clear, but deeply disturbing answers to those questions. <laughs> you laugh about it now, but- <laughs> Of course I can, exactly, I can laugh about it now, but back then it was like painful as heck. <laughs> uh, liberating though, I would admit. So disturbing, clarifying and liberating.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, those, those answers were, and a part of the liberation um, was also from even, even how I was holding God and, and the practices and beliefs and ideas about God back then. A lot of those things shifted for me over those 500 miles, you know, 35 days walking in the hot summer, Spain, sun, you know, <laughs> people might say you went crazy. That's why your ideas changed. <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> I'm looking at your face now as you say that going, you think you were crazy.
1: I thought I was crazy so many things happened on that walk I was like no 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 something is I think I'm crazy am I crazy (laughs) you know Um, right
0: but well that's that's um oh that's fun and and fascinating I remember you telling me the some parts of the story about your pilgrimage and you know that's I've, I've not done something like that but boy you know, I want to, I want to imagine that I could imagine, but I, yeah. I know I cannot yeah. imagine it unless I do it. Yeah. You got to be, you got to be out there doing it.
1: Yeah. You know, the thing I would quickly say about this to Neil is, and everyone that's listening, it's like when we go looking for ourselves, like who we really, really are, man, you got to be careful because you will find yourself. And that self <laughs> will surprise the heck out of you. <laughs> You'll be like, yo, who is this self? <laughs> That's not <laughs> me today, right? I didn't know this self. Mm-hmm. And um, as we get to know this self, um, you know, early in this conversation, we were talking about home. Like you asked, where is home for me? And I had said something like, you know, there's so many levels to it. And one of the levels is it was within myself, myself is home. So I think if we deeply go look for ourselves, we'll find, we'll find who we are and we'll find home. Mm-hmm. We'll find peace. We'll find purpose. We'll find connection. We'll find <laughs> period.
0: Mm-hmm. We'll find mm-hmm. and be open to that finding. So the thing that we're talking about, as I understand it, is growth between our inner and outer worlds Mm. Mm. tell folks what that means
1: yeah yeah um you know we're we're navigating uh, both worlds at least both worlds some people might even say more than that you know so we're navigating our external world and how we move through that um but especially for people like, like us who belong to some sort of marginal or marginalized identity group, you know, mm-hmm. be it be it because of our race, because of our gender, because of our sexual orientation, country of origin, religion, whatever. So we're navigating the outside world in all sort of marginalized identity. And how are we doing that as an impact on how we, who we are, who we become. Um, Even our health, lots of studies and books and so on out there talks about the implications on the impact on our mental health and physical well-being and so on from navigating these worlds, okay. But while we're navigating this external world, we're also um, navigating inside of ourselves, you know, because you know, we're a system to ourselves as much as we're navigating the systems out there in the organizations we work with, the communities we live in, the institutions we get services from. You know, we're navigating those systems, but we're also moving through ourselves. Going back to what I was sharing earlier, you know, looking for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So as we're navigating the external world, something is going on within our internal world. Oftentimes we might not be explicit about it or explicit about focusing on it. So this thing about growing as we navigate internal and external world is really an invitation to slow ourselves down as we are navigating because navigating is movement, right? We have to be moving through the world, Mm -hmm. you know? So as we're moving, can we slow ourselves down to see how we are as we are navigating the world out there and navigating the world in here, as we are making meaning of our identities, making meaning of how we're moving through a dominant culture, making meaning of our sense of exclusion or inclusion. Like what what about us that feels included or excluded, that feels like we belong here, wherever the here is. So can we slow ourselves down to notice, you know, like what's going on in this space where we are, the space that we create when we slow down to notice how we're moving through the external world and what's going on inside and, and what, so part and of what
0: um and what um you know what i what i want to say is in that space where you say we need to look at how we're moving yeah. um what aspect of ourselves is in front what aspects of our identity yeah. our identities are making the choices in that space that's right and and pointing us in the direction that we need to go on that compass because we have all of these multitudes of aspects of our identity which version of me is here now and how is that version moving
1: in this space exactly exactly because we are i love what you're saying here brother because we are many you know, the Jamaican mat mother is like out of many one people. Although it's, it's talking mostly of the external world, but I think it's true of the internal world. Out of many, one. You know, so we and in each one of us, there is some identities that are dominant. Like you and I are male and heterosexual in this world, you know. Um, so dominant identities, and then there, we also have marginalized identities, you know, being Black, being from the Caribbean, and we could name so many other things, right? Mm-hmm. So all of these identities are inside of us. And to your point, which is is taking charge and when, in what context, with who, and what are the implications of, you know, when this identity shows up and take charge, and The key thing, one of the key things there is like how uh, how um, intentional are we? How aware are we around which identity is taking charge? So the slowing down and being in that space and allowing the space for growth is actually giving ourselves some agency around which identity is showing up, but also which identity do we want to lead with? Are we minimizing some parts of ourselves? Are we elevating some parts of ourselves at the risk of other parts? And are we consciously doing that? Yeah, so we're we
0: making intentional choices about yes. the aspects of ourselves that we want to show up in this moment. Yes, yes. Right now. Yes,
1: right. Yeah. So in a way, what we're talking about is like living intentional lives, you know, living a life to our choosing, you know, um living a life that that celebrates the fullness of us, even, even as there are challenges and even risk in navigating these uh dominant spaces and cultures and systems that we have named already. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, some of that stuff is real for, for yeah. a lot of us. Um like when you went to Cayman. Like when <laughs> I they- went to Cayman, right? <laughs> And, for, and, and some of us might say, well, you know, that's, that's even like low risk. For me, it felt high risk, but in the context of things, it's like there's some people who are, vi- who are like trying to save their lives and the lives of their children as, in, as they navigate dominant uh, cultures, you know? So the risk is real. And I know you and I would never um, downplay that at all, you know, so I wanted to at least name it. Um, but yeah, in that con- context
0: matters because it ranges from just trying to get in a little bit to saving your life, trying to live your family's life, yeah. Just trying to, just trying to live. Yeah. So, um, so it it underscores a question that I have, um, and yeah, and I feel like I feel like like it's worth asking it right now. So, why? Is what's important about this to our listeners, particularly listeners who are navigating corporate space?
1: Yeah. You know, I have a few biases. Some of them I know, some of them <laughs> that I don't know. Like all of us, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my biases around, you know, full expression of ourselves. This is part of what we have been talking about. You know, how do we discover who we are and live into that as fully as we can. And I know for for quite a few of us who work and live in um, predominantly white spaces, um, we, to to cope, to survive, we often uh, minimize certain parts of our identity, um, especially those that the dominant culture already marginalizes. You know, so we, we, we try to even convince ourselves at times that those identities don't matter. We just need to be competent. We just need to prove that we are smart and that we are capable of doing the job. Okay. And sometimes certain parts of our identities suffer as a result of that. Mm-hmm. What you and I are talking about here is um, it's a combination of us bringing awareness to the cost. To the cost of moving through our work and life and, and 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 play in this way, you know, bringing awareness to to how we choose to move, and the then co- making the cost, some...
0: of, the cost of marginalizing aspects of
1: ourselves. That's right.
0: That's in service right. of trying to fit into some dominant in. culture.
1: Okay. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And it's not to say that there aren't benefits to fitting in because there are, there are real tangible benefits to fitting yes. in, yeah. you know, to, to not seem in a threat to our white male colleague or boss, you mm-hmm. know, more likelihood of getting promoted and getting, you know, increasing salary and other benefits and so on. So there's some real tangible benefits mm-hmm. and there's some so, real so, costs.
0: I keep intruding on Akasha here because... For those of you who listened to the podcast on Monday, March 1st, what I didn't say in that podcast about Black men is the subtext of the threat that a Black man Ah, is to a white man. Yeah. Now, people might push back on that, but we ought to realize that we live in a socialized context. And there are a lot of things happening in the subtext.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And how many of us, I wonder, you know, because a lot of this, I would say, is based on real events, you know, historic, I mean, slavery, colonization, and being socialized on all sides about how to treat each other and how to engage with each other. You know, so um, from a place of dominance or a place of submission, a place of fear, a place of aggression, and so on, you know, a place of um, oppression and a place of um, being oppressed. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're socializing to these roles around our identities, you know, and um, even though in, in, in some ways the conditions have changed right but we are also still living based on those uh, early conditions and socializations Mm -hmm. and and I'm not saying that there aren't um, systems of injustice in the world and racism and other forms of uh, injustice and inequality and so on Um, but what I'm saying is for me like Neil, when I was growing up in Jamaica and um, when a white man came to our little town, I literally thought that he was like Jesus. I could care less about who that person is. My little six, seven-year-old brain is like, I mean, I grew up in an Adventist church and all the pictures are of God and Jesus are these white, handsome men. So when Mm -hmm. I see a white, handsome man Actually, I don't even, it wasn't even, I didn't even think about handsome. It's like, once he's white, he's handsome. And once he's white, he's Jesus. Holy, blessed, (laughs) more developed, you know, miracle worker. (laughs) Right? So, so. You were um, conditioned already. (laughs) I was conditioned already, you know? So it became my work as I mature to actually look at these conditioning and then choose choose how I choose for myself, how I am and how I want to engage with others. A part of the, when this became even more serious for me, because i have been doing work on this thing for years, you know, um, and then not very long ago, I was going to this workshop, Neil. Um, this workshop was around how, um, how white fragility um, impacts communities of color it was a workshop with robin d'angelo and a, mm-hmm. a brilliant um, black psychologist ken hardy who's based in new york and um, they did this workshop together and i'm on my way to this workshop it was in san francisco close to you mm-hmm. and i got out of the plane you know when you got out of the plane and you, you know you sit for a while you just you really gotta go so i'm like making a beeline for the restroom and my body stopped and I'm maybe three feet from the door to enter the restroom. And my body stopped and I looked up and I saw a white man that was about seven to 10 feet away. We were the only two people that were going for the restroom. And I stopped and waited for this man to come and enter the thing. I'm like, what the heck did my body just do? What, what, the, what just happened here? What part
0: of you made that choice?
1: What part of me made that choice? So this is an example of also what I mean about the slowing down. You see, when we're navigating the outside world and also navigating the inside world. So of course I I had to pee, so I went to pee, but I kept reflecting on this thing. What what made me slow down? I wasn't being nice. You know, I'm a nice guy. A lot of us are nice people, (laughs) but I really wasn't being nice in that moment. You know, and oftentimes there is another little tangential thing, but quite related. You uh, sometimes being,
0: you were not being nice to yourself you actually w- that's right were marginalizing yourself i was you were traumatizing myself yourself.
1: exactly yeah. i mean in a lot of ways because i could have peed my pants and there's another type of trauma <laughs> right there <laughs> in public <laughs> so not to mention my my black caribbean <laughs> identity being mar- marginalized my black caribbean identity but also my body because yeah. the, the thing is what we're just, we're just talking about just now is actually a really interesting thing to name, you know, which is the, the being nice, black men being nice, mm-hmm. and also the cost to ourselves of being nice. Even though the perception of us being nice isn't necessarily the reality. You know, so white people, mostly white women, they like, say, oh, you know, Akasha and Neil are very nice. And that may be true on one level, but some of it might also be um, uh, a sort of unconscious way of protecting ourselves because it's yeah. a part of the socialization as well. And so yeah. in the being nice, what's the cost to us? What's the cost to me? So like that constant interrogation again of what am I doing here? Who am I being here? Who is, which part of my identity is on center stage here? And am I making that choice consciously, you know, and what's the cost mm-hmm. of showing up? So as we go back to your question about like in reality, when we're in corporate America, in whatever, wherever we live, you know, cause not just America here in the Caribbean, you know, living on an Island that's 85% black and work at a university that's led um, like the administrative roles are occupied. Like 80% of these roles so are so occupied by white expats, you know, so it's, it's it's partly geography, but partly not geography. It's partly how we, the world has been built and structured around uh, dominance and submission, you know, race and gender and so on being in in positions of power and other identities not. Mm -hmm. So all of these things are play. Yeah, so we're in in organizations um, bringing consciousness to how we navigate these systems, the systems out there and the system in here, inside you, inside me, that's the thing that we're talking about here bringing conscious awareness to how we move through the world. And I think this is another one of my bias. I think when we slow this process down, I think growth is possible. Growth is possible other ways, but I think when we slow down, look at how we're moving through these spaces. We can grow, we can transform, we can liberate ourselves.
0: Yeah, but we notice. We yeah, can, we notice more. I can, you know, have a, yeah. I have an example. It's, it's a little on the lighter side, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I've been in the US for a while. My voice, my, my accent is a little different now than it was, you know, before I came over. You, you've standardized
1: uh, your accent.
0: Yeah. And it, it um, but I still process things in my mind.
1: Mm.
0: as a Bahamian you know I still have island language in my body
1: Mm. I still Mm -hmm. interpret Mm -hmm.
0: things in island ways and my soul wants to respond in island ways and I noticed not that long ago I would say maybe within the last 10 to 12 years professionally facilitating speaking in public spaces, you know, in business when change management or coaching or whatever, training or whatever um, and as I become more, I've become more comfortable doing that kind of work I would notice because I, I had the ability to both to simultaneously go fast and go slow. I could notice myself mm-hmm. being myself mm-hmm. in, in the moment mm-hmm. and I started to notice in response to like participant or student questions or something like that, a response that I had in my soul that was Island Boy. And the words that were trying to come out of my mouth were Americanized. Yeah. They were adapted. Yeah. And what I started to do, the experiment, because it was a cost to me, I realized that I was, I was muffling myself. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was marginalizing yeah. my truth yes you know yes. the way i saw the world and the way i made meaning out of things in context and so what i experimented with was this I, I would tell a story i would say hey i mentioned i was from the bahamas or well, i would say it at that moment and i would say then in the bahamas we might say x and i would just say it with my island tongue and then i would say here's what it means and respond to their question. Yeah, yes. And the the cost prior to that was slightly lower engagement of students or participants. Mm-hmm. When I did that, mm-hmm. I was being more authentically me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's something in the human soul, something in the human heart that can experience and knows that that is a truth.
1: yeah. Yeah, like we respond to authenticity.
0: Yeah, so it brings them closer to me and me closer to them. So the cost up until that point was I was losing human connection. Yeah, yeah. But I had to realize, I had to slow down enough to realize an aspect of myself that I was marginalizing. Yeah, yeah, this is a
1: powerful story. You know, I wonder how many of us are like living on either side of this story, you know, where we are moving so fast that we are still marginalizing ourselves or where you have been, where you've practiced and practiced. And, you know, like on the other side of this, where you're slowing down and bringing in your culture more, because this is what I see as the opportunity for a lot of us you know, the slowing down the notice and to bring in parts of ourselves that we have been muffling or minimizing or suppressing. Mm-hmm. You know, so I do a lot of this work with leaders, Neil. And I, I you know, I run this workshop called Leading Inclusively. And one of the things um, that we do, we have people actually take an assessment Intercultural development inventory that mm-hmm. measures our our capacity for engaging across differences, recognizing, engaging and adapting to differences, you know? And one of the things I hear from people is across age, gender, race, is exactly what you were pointing out here. That especially those, so across gender, age, race, but the thing that's in common is when we are living when we belong to a marginalized group and work and function in a predominantly white space is that um, people worry about the risk in, in bringing more of the authentic expression of their identities forward. And not just, doesn't have to be one, like that's the big struggle. And so when we explore the possibility of bringing more and more of that, it's like people... People, can, people feel like they can breathe, that mm-hmm. they can relax. Because it's to your point, um, it's, it's their authentic expression, even without getting to the benefit of deeper intimacy with others from expressing our authentic self. Because I completely agree with you on that. My experience, what I've observed in others, the more we express who we are, even beyond our cultural identity, but inclusive of our cultural identity, uh, the more connected we become. Because in reality, organizations actually benefit from this, but we don't say this a lot. Organizations, and I don't just mean like, you know, looking good and people say, oh, that's a diverse organization. No, it's when we bring in these multiple perspectives, or Bahamian-ness or Jamaican-ness or uh, Egyptian-ness or Lebanese-ness. Like when we bring in these aspects of ourselves into the organization, it benefits because especially in like these complex times, diversity really helps organizations navigate through complexity really well. Mm-hmm. So not just the American perspective, not just the white perspective, not just the male perspective, you know, but global as per- a global, global
0: perspective, global perspective. Strong. You know, and it matters because we're, you know, whether people like it or not, we're globalized, Yeah. you know, yeah. and whether it's making decisions, solving problems, communicating from a business perspective, quite frankly, making money, um, this, is a, this is a tremendous value. Yes. And when we marginalize aspects of ourselves, we're actually mm-hmm. not bringing our best. work that's right that's right you know we're if we're asked to bring our best to work we need to bring our whole self to work not just because it's a pr (sighs) tagline yeah you know and and (laughs) i I, i'm kind of mad at you because i know you didn't listen to my episode on full (laughs) expression but you use that language here today so go check it out. Uh, I will. I will. It's about leadership and full expression. Mm. But it is, it is exactly this: it is you know we, we need to be cultivating. We need to work on bringing all of ourselves forward and getting skilled at being intentional about what aspects of ourselves we bring forward yeah. in that space. In between yeah. our in inner world and outer world. So that we could skillfully navigate and skillfully contribute yeah right aspect at the right time and we're all a work in progress right
1: that's right that's right yeah and 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 work and progress are like operative words you know it's like because i don't like what's the possibility of you what's the possibility of me what's the possibility of us i i i don't know who knows i don't know <laughs> but i think what we're talking about here like the more we explore that and step into our possibility, like, you know, the more we get to know about what that might be. I don't think there, I don't know if there's an end to it, but I know I haven't reached mine.
0: No, no way. (laughs) It's, it's, uh, I dwell in possibilities and uh, it's a lifetime journey. But the sooner we, the faster we get to that place of slowing down and noticing. Yeah you know, the more access we have to the equity that lies within us as we bring more and more of our aspects of ourselves, our identities forward. So Dr. Akasha, what are a couple of things that our listeners ought to do to begin this process of slowing down and noticing what's in that space in between um, to support their growth?
1: yeah i mean i think the first thing is really like what you know one of the first things at least is what we just named you know it's like hurry up and slow down you know if you haven't started slowing down to look at you and how you're moving through the world uh, get to it you know um for some of you it may require you you know use a journal um slow the process down, make some notes about what you are noticing about yourself. I think that's an essential thing. Um, Choosing to do it maybe is one thing that comes before. It's like choosing to find out who you really, really are. Mm -hmm. And I think a third thing, which takes some courage, I think a third thing that we have been expressing here is around articulating our experiences articulating our authentic experiences and listen we realize i'm sure neil and i realize that listen there are different contexts that determines how far you articulate your experience and that's up to you to determine you know so we understand i understand you, you know you don't need to go to your you know your your boss who who has a history of discriminating against people of color against women To go to them tomorrow morning and say, "Hey, listen, this is who I am," you know. (laughs) Maybe not that, (laughs) but so find some safe spaces where you can begin to articulate your truth, your uh, your authentic cultural expression a little bit more, you know, where they start telling a story about your growing up as you, as the identity that matters to you, um, or you being an identity that now matters to you you know whether that's a newly realized or a changed identity whatever that is so begin to articulate your experience I think is a third thing you know Um, that again that will that will show up in in different ways I I think another thing that we have been sort of hinting at here is is around self-compassion you know it's like I think a lot of us, if not all of us, can find moments when we have suppressed, muffled, minimized, perhaps even tried to sever parts of our identities. Um, do some work to acknowledge that and then be gentle with yourself when you find the parts of you that you have muffled, severed, minimized, suppressed. Be gentle with yourself and make some new decisions, you know. Uh, How can you begin to invite that part of you more into you, the system of you? So they're not out on the margins of your system, but you invite them more into your inner circle, your inner circle of you. I think that's a part of the big work that we're doing here, isn't it? Like Mm -hmm. inviting more and more of ourselves into the circle of our self system so that we can be whole. And that's the thing that I'm committed to. Like we can be whole, yeah. integrated.
0: You know, um, I, love, I love the validation and the verification mm. that you're providing our listeners who've been following this podcast for a while. I had Coach KJ on some weeks or months ago, and he used the term Remember.
1: remember (laughs)
0: oneself to come together bring it back together you again mentioned self-compassion which i believe is a part of leadership in that same episode i mentioned to you around full expression in order to get to that place of full expression self-love is necessary self-sovereignty is necessary resilience is necessary so that You can be fully integrated. You can be remembered. You can be whole. And you can fully express from all aspects
1: of yourself. Yeah, Yeah, man. As my 11 year old Jamaican self would say, you're right to rot it, man. Yeah, man. Spot (laughs) on. Spot on. So true. Yeah. So true. It's
0: a beautiful conversation, Akasha. Thank you so much for coming in and, you know, being in conversation and, sharing your wisdom with our listeners. I think it's really going to be appreciated because we know a lot of people need to slow down and to notice and to grow in that space. All dimensions of diversity. You know, a lot of people live in this space of trying to navigate who they are and integrate in that space between the outside and the inside. So thank you for that. Thank you for being here today. And um, blessings, my brother, my island boy. Yeah. Thank
1: you. Yeah. Love to you and your listeners.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Leadership Range. If you enjoyed the episode, I invite you to peruse the others for more great conversations. If you know someone you think ought to be on the podcast, please send me an email at neil at neiledwardscoaching.com to connect with me you can find me on linkedin at linkedin.com/in/nedwards07 i look forward to you joining in for more conversations each monday on the leadership range